Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? Hope everybody's week is going well. And to think, we're just two days away from the official beginning of summer. That's how fast time is flying by, so enjoy it. Despite everything that's going on in this country and in the world, make sure you manifest some positivity, some high vibrations, and do your best to be your best as we continue to march on here as summer's just a couple days away. But with that being pushed aside, you've come to listen to some sports, and I have a very special podcast for you this week with a great guest, and you've come to listen to it all here on the J Reels Podcast. This is your host, J Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard, and for those who have been with me for now 138 episodes, I welcome you guys back. It's a Thursday, June the 18th, in the year of our Lord, 2020. On tap is Kevin McClellan. He's a former right-winger for the Edmonton Oilers, most notably for Edmonton. He was drafted by the Hartford Whalers going way back to the 1980s, then was on the Pittsburgh Penguins for a cup of coffee before being traded to that juggernaut out in Edmonton, Alberta, in Western Canada where they won four Stanley Cups in five years, and he was a big part of that. A rugged, tough right winger who certainly would muck it up with any of the toughest that were out there in the NHL at that time. And for those who've listened to me from the very beginning, or if you're just now getting familiar with me, I love the old-time hockey, and there's nothing like it. Today's game is a shell of its old self. I've been very vociferous in stating that over the years. And to have a guy like Kevin McClellan on just to not school a younger NHL fan, but just to get an idea of what it was like. Because I know that there's a big divide between a guy like myself and the younger NHL fan. But if you're into hockey history and into the tough guys, this is right up your alley. And for those that may not feel or think that this is going to be an interesting podcast, we'll just listen to what Kevin McClellan had to say as we go over a multitude of things. We had this discussion almost two weeks ago, so thankfully I'm able to present it to you, crisp, nice and edited, very insightful, a lot of great nuggets that he provided with me on this podcast, so I hope you enjoy it just as much as I did recording it with him. So without further ado, my conversation with former NHLer, Edmonton Oilers right wing, Kevin McClelland, and I'll see you on the other side. On the line, I have Kevin McClelland, the former four-time Stanley Cup champion of those great 80s Oilers dynasty teams. We'll talk about that. And also one of the toughest guys who played in that decade. We'll get into his career, post-career, what he's up to. And uh, joining me, without further ado, Mr. Kevin McClelland. Kevin, welcome to the podcast. It's an honor and pleasure. How are you doing today? Doing fine, my friend. Uh just sitting up in Alberta here, watching the rain right now. Oh, is that right? Uh, how's yeah? With it uh, being rainy, what about the weather? Is it chilly, cold? Is it uh, considering it's June? Has it gotten warm up there? Because I always think of Edmonton as just the, like the coldest place on earth. 
Yeah, because you're used to watching uh, Edmonton in the wintertime, and that was uh, I was out here a lot in the wintertime, obviously, and uh, it's really cold, really, really cold in the wintertime, but the uh, last couple of days have been in the 70s. Today's just a overcast day with some rain. Oh, okay. All right, perfect. All right, so Kevin, uh, we're kind of curious to find out what you've been up to since your uh, playing days, and I understand it goes back a couple of decades, but uh, for myself and the fans listening, uh, what have you been up to here uh, post-retirement? I've been uh, I've been coaching, and uh, you know, with coaching comes a lot of instability. So I've been uh, tramping around the country for in Canada and the United States for the last few years, and uh, coaching minor hockey. I coached uh, St. John's farm team for like five years uh, in St. John's, Newfoundland. Mm. I coached uh, in the Western Hockey League with Prince Albert Raiders. You know, Scott Hartnell. He was my 16 year old at that time. Mm. He went on to have a pretty good career. Yes. Now I'm coaching at a college up in Lacklebush, Alberta. Oh, interesting. Did you ever think uh, after your playing days that you'd be coaching, or was it something that you were looking forward to possibly doing uh, once you retired? Well, you know what? Back in the day when we got finished with the game, we really never had any counseling or anything like that. We were just uh, playing out our careers and really, you know, I can honestly say I never looked uh, uh, to what I was going to do after hockey, and then all of a sudden it just, you know, hits you head on. Wow. So, you know, when you're done, you're sort of going, okay, what do I do? So I was uh, trying to get my mutual fund licenses and uh, insurance licenses and stuff like that. And then I got a call from uh, Bert Templeton, who was coaching the Barry Colts, uh, the late Bert Templeton. Mm-hmm. And uh, he offered me to come up and be an assistant coach in uh, Ontario Hockey League. So I, and, uh, about 30 years later, you know, I've been packing my suitcase and going from place to place coaching again. Right. Wow. Look at that. That's, uh, that's great, though, because I'm sure – it keeps your juices flowing. I'm sure just trying to coach some of these kids and just kind of seeing them, what you probably saw in yourself as you were trying to reach for your dreams yeah, and make it yeah, to the NHL. Yeah, it's, uh, that's the one thing is you've got a library of knowledge up there. And uh, from the years of me playing and seeing every different scenario, whether it's been uh, one that I thought was positive or negative, you know, I have those experience to, uh, uh, to pass on to these kids and, uh, I think it's great, and uh, any time that I can help a young kid and make a right decision in life, it uh, it just makes you feel real, real, real good as a hockey coach and just, you know, obvious as a person. No, absolutely. All right, now take us back. Uh, growing up in Ontario, and of course, uh, when you're in Canada, I'm sure pretty much uh, year one, year two of life, the parents put skates on you and away you go. So uh, if you could kind of uh, navigate us through your hockey dream from when you were a little boy to when you got drafted by Hartford, uh, please take us through that. Or maybe was there another sport that you were interested in growing up? But, of course, hockey is uh, religion up in Canada. Yeah, no, it's. Uh, I remember getting started real young, obviously. And uh, in Canada, that's a saying that uh, uh, as soon as you're born, you got sk- you come out with skates on. So yep. I was uh, I was not the exception, that's for sure. But uh, played Oshawa minor hockey all the way up uh, uh, through my uh, childhood years up to I was 16. Uh, had some great coaches there, some great mentors, and you know the biggest thing was I had the support from mom and dad. Obviously, mm-hmm. they were there to support huge, and uh, uh, you know financially wise, obviously, and time and hours driving back and forth to the rink. So the support system was good. Uh, played uh, played all the way up uh, until I was sixteen. Uh, got heard that I was going to get drafted into the OHL, which is a pretty big thing back there, and uh, still your going oh this is pretty good you know uh-huh. i played hockey for a while now i'm gonna get to play in uh, ontario i mean uh, in the ontario hockey league where oshawa has the oshawa general so i was very familiar with it mm-hmm. and then uh, i played one year there 
uh, in Niagara Falls when I got drafted and had 28 points as a 16-year-old. Nice. And then that was the first year they came in with the underage draft. So oh. I would have maybe went a little higher than the fourth round, but it was now all of a sudden it was the first uh, ever underage draft. So I brought a bunch of more people into it. But uh, I ended up getting drafted that year. And I remember an agent coming to my house and talking to me, my mom, and my dad. And he's sitting across from us saying, I'm going to get drafted in the NHL. And we're just sort of looking at him like, yeah, okay, whatever. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. And I didn't even, I didn't even go to the draft. Wow. And sure enough, I, sure enough, I did. I got drafted in the fourth round by Hartford. Amazing. And as you were a teenager playing in the, of course, going through junior, uh, was there a particular player that you idolized that you wanted to pattern your game after, you know, growing up as a teen in Canada? Well, you know who I really, really liked? Uh, I really liked Bobby Clark and Philadelphia Flyers. Oh, sure. So I rock. So ironic, you know what I mean? That yeah. uh, I had that uh, in my repertoire as a, you know, one of those Broad Street bullies, and uh, Bobby Clark, just how tenacious he was. But mm-hmm. you know, that was a team I really enjoyed watching and uh, really cheered for. And like I said, every time I saw Bobby Clark uh, uh, smile on uh, TV with those no teeth, right? No teeth, it uh, made me a real happy guy and wanted me. Uh, uh, to be a hockey player. Oh, yeah, and you would have been the perfect flyer considering that time and place. And interestingly enough, since you got drafted by Hartford, you never even played for the Whalers. I believe from there you uh, moved on to Pittsburgh. Now, how did that uh, go, How did that come to pass in a sense? where Was it a trade? Did Hartford release you? Were you picked up by Pittsburgh? How did that come about? It was uh, it was the first uh, compensation case ever. Hmm. It, uh, uh, Pittsburgh uh, signed... Uh, uh, Millen, Greg Millen, and uh, maybe jo- and maybe Jordy Douglas or something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, me- and uh, no, they signed Greg Millen. I think I don't know how it went. I can't remember. But anyway, uh, the arbitrator made Hartford put a thing in who they wanted to give up for that uh, for that trade, and uh, they made Pittsburgh put uh, uh, what they wanted. And the judge ruled that me and Papoutet had to go to Hartford. So it wasn't really that Hartford wanted to get rid of it. it was a compensation deal when they tried uh, uh sign greg mellon and uh and uh, i got uh, put into the deal as part of his compensation deal so me and pat went, went to uh pittsburgh and then from pittsburgh i went to edmonton and uh I went on to win those four nice cups absolutely and the thing is that with pittsburgh i can only imagine because here it is now you uh, of course, drafted by Hartford, and now here you are in Pittsburgh. And obviously, you want to make a name for yourself. You're a hard-nosed player. Obviously, you have a lot of skill. So if you could kind of walk me through what it was like just playing in Pittsburgh for that first year before you got traded to Edmonton, and what it was like just to try to establish yourself on a team, not only just as, of course, a hockey player, but even someone who has the physical and uh, and the tough skills that you had. Well, it was, it was tough. It was a bit of a different uh, different animal there. It, uh, you know, coach was pretty tough on me, and... Uh, you know, the older guys were pretty tough on me and everything. So it was difficult as a young player, obviously. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, you know, I was really trying to find my way there. And I guess I really didn't. But, you know, I did get to, you know, have my first game, pro game, was in Philadelphia. And I got to take the face off against Bobby Clark. So that was pretty sweet. Oh, but, uh, nice. Anyway, I was struggling, spinning my tires in, uh, in, in Pittsburgh. You know, I was coming out of junior. And I was a real big scorer in junior. Right. And I could always, I could always fight. Mm-hmm. I could always fight, like I could always protect myself and everything, so there was no worries there, but like I I was like a huge scorer in junior, so I went to Pittsburgh and, uh, you know, things weren't working out. We got sent to the minors. I remember actually fighting, you know, I just had enough. I just had enough of the, all the kibitzing and stuff like that, so I ended up fighting that uh, Brian Maxwell in practice and mm. 
when I did fight him, then I got called over by Lou Angotti, and he said I got sent to the minors. So went to the minors, played three games there, and uh, got a phone call from Glenn Sather, and uh, got traded to Edmonton. And look at that. And then, of course, you go to Edmonton during that 83-84 season. And uh, before I even get to that, playing in junior and then, of course, in the minors, again, trying to establish yourself, establish yourself trying to make it to the, the big show, uh, I can only imagine the type of customers that you had to go, you know, go through before you even got to the pros. Because as I've seen and even spoken to other hockey players that, uh, of course, were uh, as tough, if, you know, just like yourself, you know, they had to fight pretty much the same guys in junior that they did in the minors and then, of course, in the pros. So I- I'm sure your journey was pretty much similar in that regard. Is that right? Well, not really, because in junior, I was the big scorer. Like I had 100. I went from 28 points my first year in junior to 108 my second year mm. and then uh you know uh like the playoffs i would have like you know 15 points in five games so it was like i was uh i was the leading scorer on the team and uh you know the guy that was on the uh, front cover with uh ron francis is three superstars in the ontario hockey league and, oh interesting you know so i was going to nhl probably you know with that good mix of grit and uh and uh, scoring and stuff like that. So, right. You know, I didn't. Uh, I didn't get going. Obviously, I didn't uh, get a lot of opportunity in uh, in Pittsburgh to do it. So, right. Uh, I guess uh, at the end of the day, they ended up trading me. Oh, that's interesting. So- I, again, getting back to the main question is, yeah, I didn't really have to fight those guys. And, wow. You know, I re- and I really never played in the minors till the end of my career. So, I only played like three games in the minors uh, to start my career off. You know, so Look I never that. really really had to battle through that anyway you know oh no that's hey, good. even better for you and even much better that you were traded to Edmonton there in that 83-84 season and I'm sure when you got traded from Pittsburgh to Edmonton and you look around the locker room and you see Gretzky you see Messier you see Curry you see Coffey you see Glenn Anderson you, you must have felt like you were walking onto a an all-star team and and knowing that they lost the cup and got swept by the Islanders the year before I'm sure there was a lot of hunger and a lot of determination on that team once you got there the minute you walked into that locker room. If you could kind of walk me through that experience and what that was like. Yeah, that was the first one. I, I got the phone call from Glenn Sather. And, uh, uh, you know, you always, like, I was still young in the NHL and uh, trying to find my way, but you knew who the Edmonton Oilers were, obviously. Mm-hmm. And uh, he called and said, yeah, we traded for you. So my first question to him was, okay, well, where's your farm team? If I can't play... <laughs> If I can't play for Pittsburgh Penguins, which were last in the whole league, right. then how am I going to go and play in Edmonton with all those superstars and that? And he said, no, no, you're coming here. And uh, I said, okay, perfect. <laughs> and I remember uh, going in there and meeting those guys and just what a, what a class group they were, just like unbelievable. It was like it was like two different uh, two different worlds I just finished living in. You know what I mean? Oh, no, of course. And, uh, yeah, it was so... Uh, it was so unbelievably uh, good there. The guys were great, you know. In Pittsburgh, we practiced for like two hours, and uh, I thought I'd be in great shape there. I skated with those guys for 40 minutes. I couldn't even keep up. I went and slept home and <laughs> slept for three days. You know? <laughs> wow, look at that. So, oh, so it, was fun. it was fun going there. And, uh, uh, you know, Pittsburgh, you know, I know uh, it was tough and everything like that, but it's, it's not supposed to be easy. So, of course. you know, I'm not complaining or or – or saying anything about Pittsburgh, a great organization, and uh, you know, it just wasn't the right fit for me, obviously. Right. And now here we go into the Stanley Cup playoffs, and I'm going to just fast forward through the Western Conference. Well, at that time, it wasn't even the Western Conference. It was the you had the Campbell, and you also had the Wales Conference back then. And the league was a lot shorter; it was 21 teams. But 
You get to the Stanley Cup final, and I'm going to say this uh, upon admission, Kev, I'm a huge Islander fan. And when you scored that goal out of the corner there in the third period early on, I said to myself, oh, geez, of all people, it's Kevin McClellan because I knew you were a tough guy. I knew you were obviously a a gritty, hard-nosed player. And to think that that goal was able to hold up and one nothing was the final. And, of course, you went from there to go on and win the Cup. If you could kind of walk us through that, and I'm sure that's one of the big highlights in your career, walk us through that play and just that game with the intensity, the Islanders going for five straight Stanley Cups, and, of course, Edmonton trying to bounce back after being swept the year before. Yeah, it's, uh, it uh, was unbelievable because I'd been in the playoffs uh, against the Islanders uh, before with Pittsburgh uh-huh. when uh, uh, they blew us out two games uh, two games on Long Island. And DeBartolo said, uh, if people, Pittsburgh Penguin fans want their tickets back, they can have them back. You know, these guys aren't a very good team. And then we went back into Pittsburgh and we won both games in Pittsburgh. I don't know if you remember that. I do. And and then and then we come back to Long Island and we had them 3-1 with five minutes left to go. I scored in that game. Too. Yes. You know but, what? You're uh, right. Yes, I remember that now. And that was the game Johnson Elliott, of course, had those two late goals. And then, of course, the Islanders went on to win. Yeah. I remember. It was 3-1 with five minutes to go. And the last uh, tying up goal topped over Carlisle's stick. And I, I don't know who scored it, but tied up 3-3. And then, like you said, they scored in overtime. So... We pushed them to the brink there, but I was familiar with the Islanders, and uh, you know, I got uh, situated with uh, Edmonton, and uh, uh, they made me a, a special part of the team, obviously. And uh, it was a close game, and you know, I give all that credit to my two linemates, uh, Hunter and Hughes. They were in crashing and banging in the corners, and crashing and banging with them a little bit. And uh, Hughes, found me going to the net, and uh, I just uh, I could always hear Sailor say. If you don't hit the net, Macker, you're going, going to get sent to the minor. So I just wanted to make sure I hit the net. Sure enough, I went in the corner, and uh, it ended up uh, Grant Fear did the rest and made me uh, uh, well-known for a big goal in Oilers history. No, absolutely. And then, of course, you go on to win that cup, and I'm sure it must have been just a tale of two seasons to go from Pittsburgh, and like you said, just being at the bottom of the league, and then here you are skating around the Northlands Coliseum with that uh, Game 5 victory and winning the Stanley Cup. Uh, I can only imagine what that throw must have been like. Oh, it was awesome. It was awesome. And the biggest thing that the biggest thing was that, you know, it was rewarding for me and obviously winning the cup and everything, but having mom and dad there, that was just uh, huge. Mm-hmm. They were there to celebrate that with me. And, uh, it was unbelievable, but, uh, yeah, it was a learning experience in Pittsburgh and, uh, you know, things happen for a reason, obviously. And, uh, it was, uh, a very good ending to it. Uh, yeah, I'll be a part of this, that hockey club. And, uh, you know, we just got voted number one team in a hundred years and had a big celebration a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And to walk back, to walk back in with those guys, and uh, it just seemed uh, like time never even went forward. It was just like we were back in the locker room together. It was pretty cool. I know. And to think that Stanley Cup was thirty six years ago, which, geez, it, it seemed like uh, five minutes ago. How time flies! It's amazing to think. And then, yeah, uh, a- no, and then the following year, of course, then you go back. You beat Philadelphia. That was. The first of two times you beat them over a uh, three-year span. And, of course, your team is just now on clicking on all cylinders. With all the talent that I mentioned before, I know you steamrolled again through the, uh, well, I'll say Western Conference now because, of course, a lot of the listeners are used to East and West. And I remember beating Chicago there out in uh, Chicago Stadium to go ahead and make it back to the Stanley Cup Finals. But now Philly was also just a different test than the Islanders because Philly was a team that, of course, hard-nosed, was tough. And, but you were able to dispose them in five games. If you kind of walk us through what that was like, just being a flyer team there at the second end of that back-to-back Stanley Cup run. Yeah, they. Had, uh, you know, that was uh, another good year for our hockey club, and uh, you know, had some challenges, obviously. But you know, with the guys that we had on our on our hockey club there, they 
we're such great leaders and you know you talk about Kevin Lowe you talk about uh, Mark Messi and Gretzky you know those were the three key guys that uh, were just leaders and they just showed us how to get there you know there was never any panic on those guys mm-hmm. it uh, you know when we needed a lift we looked to those guys so it was great and you know playing Philly in the finals there you know that series was a little close than what it ended up being but uh, again we had the guys that uh, you know could uh, step it up and uh, get the big goals when needed. And then, of course, you're going for three in a row the following year in 86, and not to bring up a bad memory, but, and I'm sure when you guys get together, Steve Smith, uh, I'm sure he hangs his head to this day, losing that uh, seven-game series to Calgary, especially at home. But before I even get to that, your rivalry with Calgary, uh, and the NHL had a ton of rivalries back then, which I truly loved, and unfortunately, it's a different day and time that we live in. The sport is, to me, it's a shell of its old self in that regard, but... If you could kind of walk us through what it was like, the Battle of Alberta between you guys and the Flames and all the, just the fisticuffs and just everything that took place, especially in that 86 year, because to me that was almost like the height of the rivalry because both of you were just, obviously you were better than them, but you were on equal footing considering that that year they went on to the Cup, but they, of course they lost to Montreal. So if you could walk us through what that was like just going up against Calgary every time out and just the battles that you yeah. had with them. I tell you, it's uh, you, it's so hard to even explain it. You got to live through that man, as a player, but uh, <laughs> right. it was even the fans. Oh, you know, they lived through it with us, and it uh, it got uh, you know pretty nasty and pretty intense and pretty uh, pretty crazy at times. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. you know, both you know, we both sides knew when to uh, you know chill out a little bit and back off things. But you know, it got very intense, and it got uh, you know. I don't think I ever probably I probably did, but. I probably never uh, uh, finished a game in Calgary, if, if I <laughs> could recall, because right. it sounded like every time we went to Calgary, they got a little bit, uh, a little bit bigger and stronger, and uh, really wasn't a lot, you know, happening when we were in Edmonton. So, right. two different, uh, different two cities, different, uh, different rivalry, but uh, it was tough, you know, tr- fighting Tim Hunter, Paul Baxter was uh, yep. a great role player and agitator, and uh, he did his job well. And, you know, I knew him from Pittsburgh. He helped me out. He was one of the great guys there in Pittsburgh that helped me out and showed me some things, some fighting. And, uh, mm. you know, six months later, we're standing throwing bombs against each other. So <laughs> right. it's, uh, it's, uh, it happens. But uh, the Calgary, Edmonton, I don't think there's any, any like it. You know what I mean? I know they always talk about these uh, Bruins and Canadians and everything. But I, I tell you, the rivalry and, uh, you know, the way that people in Edmonton took to that rivalry, like, when there was another game on, man, you would see nobody outside. Right. Uh, outside, they'd be all sitting in front of their TV sets. So it was a lot of fun, and uh, they were a good hockey team. If we weren't winning the Cups all those years, they would have been right there in good running winning those Cups because they had a heck of a hockey team, and uh, they matched us physically. Uh, it was just a, a great uh, great rivalry and uh, a lot of fun to be a part of for sure. Oh, no, of course. And I was just rewatching some of this uh, footage as I'm getting ready to talk with you. And I think about the one fight you had with Tim Hunter when you both fell to the ice and then you're just like throwing bombs. And I, I tell you, it-, it was almost like you couldn't make that up considering how that all unfolded. And one thing about you, Kevin, that I- I've always admired, not only just your toughness, but a lot of fighters even back then. I know a couple off the top of my head, Dave Brown was a- was a tough lefty. Obviously, he was a, just- he was a giraffe. He was enormous. But uh, you when... You and your style, just being left-handed with a lot of the guys in the league at that time were right-handed, you certainly threw a lot of people off by just you being southpaw. And I think that was to your advantage, considering that uh, a lot of the guys back then were right-handed. Can you tell me a little bit about that and just having that type of advantage when you were going up against some of these guys, especially what it was against Calgary or some of the other guys in your division? 
Yeah, well, I needed it. Trust me. These the guys, <laughs> I were, the guys I were fighting were all tough, and I got so much respect for them. But the big thing they had on me, they had me weight. Like I was only 192 pounds, mm. and uh, you know I was fighting guys always like 220, 230. Like I really wasn't heavyweight, right? But I sort of, I sort of stepped up and and fought the heavyweights, and oh, I guess did. I did all. Mm-hmm. I guess I did all right, but you know I needed that little advantage with the left hand, and uh, I just uh, went in and. Uh, every fight and i never wanted to ever hurt anybody obviously but uh i didn't want to lose neither i think that was the big thing is you, you never wanted to lose and you never wanted to uh be that guy that got knocked out uh, knocked out again you know you knew it could happen and everything but i was determined not to let that happen to me and uh at the end of the day i was lucky i have a face like a, a cement wall because it was <laughs> like like hitting a cement wall for right. sure but uh uh, the advantage of the lefty, but I still don't understand that because if you know a lefty, that's my power, right? And the guy's righty, his power. Then why not go toe to toe? I had a lot of times uh, uh, people would hang on to my left and wouldn't throw their power against my power. Like exactly. that's what you're there for. Well, let's get at it and let's get her done. That's you know it. What I mean? No, absolutely. And that's yeah. definitely the attitude to have. And you know, it's interesting because again, it's a different game then than it was now. But considering that you had three or four guys on your team that could do pretty much the same job that you did, whether it was Dave Semenko, whether it was obviously yourself, whether it was Don Jackson, a little later on, Kelly Bookberger, when you had more than one guy on the team, was there any pressure for you to not say you had to be better than the next guy? Because we know Semenko was a, was a heavyweight. He was a big, you know, burly guy. And same for Don Jackson, for that matter, even though he may not be in that class with Dave Semenko. But at the same time, was there any pressure to know that, well, hey, you know, Dave could obviously go up against the best of them. I have to show and prove night in and night out that I belong, not necessarily with Semenko or those heavyweights, but to know that, hey, there is one guy that is just as good as I am that I got to even add that much more extra as far yeah. as being tough. How about that? No, I mean, like when me and Marty, me and Marty started to get on Pittsburgh too. Well, McSorley, uh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, and then uh, when he came to Edmonton, we'd uh, like we were we were uh, playing Detroit in the semifinals there a lot, uh, two years in a row or whatever. Yes, eighty six, eighty seven. Yeah, we'd uh, before uh, uh, we'd uh, get on the plane or before morning skate in our own building. We'd know who was fighting Probert that night, and we'd know who was fighting Kosher. <laughs> right. <laughs> I was fight. I was fighting Probert, you know, tonight, and he was fighting Kosher. Then the next game, he was going to fight Probert, and I fight Kosher. So, you know, we didn't worry about that. We were there for each other, and we had each other's back. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Right. No, of course. You know, the, it was so funny because you know they brought that Neil Sheehy in. Oh yeah. Calgary. I couldn't stand him. And, yeah. Yeah, and. Uh, we, uh, me and Marty are on the plane. We flew out of Municipal Air- Airport in uh, Edmonton. And we're going, holy shit, they got this guy, man. He's supposed to be from Harvard, a Golden Gloves boxer and everything. That's what was in the paper and everything. So yeah. we're going, wow, man. Wow. <laughs> you know, we're getting a little bit consumed with this. And we just said, uh, okay, well, who's, you know, who wants to fight him first? And uh, I think I drew the straw. So I said, yeah, okay, no worries. No. And uh, it was just things like that. We knew who we were going to fight at night. Right. It, it didn't matter. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. No, of course. And listen, when I say I couldn't stand Neil Sheehy, I just couldn't stand him because he could never fight. He always grappled. He always held. He never. You think? Oh, jeez. I can only imagine. I'm saying this, and I'm a fan from afar. Oh, when yeah. you're on the ice and you see him, you just probably want to oh, just pound away on him. But he always, he'd always go and stick Gretz and stuff like that. And, right. And. <laughs> give Gretz a hard time there and so the one time and you know I got to know uh, know Neil Sheehy a little bit but uh-huh. uh, he wasn't that golden gold boxer that I heard about that's for sure yeah. but uh, it was funny because I said to him one time uh, I said hey let's go 
and he was he didn't want nothing to do his, his lips started quivering and stuff like that <laughs> and then uh, and then and then he said no i said my coach won't uh let me fight you or he's going to find me. I said, no worries, my friend. I said, I'll pay your fine. Oh, there you, know? you go. <laughs> so, so that ended up that ended up getting in the paper from a linesman or something. The linesman oh, said man. in the paper, thought it was thought it was pretty funny. So he uh, he didn't do it not in a bad way. He just uh, thought it was real funny to hear that on the ice. You know what I mean? No, of course. Yeah. And then going back to that 86, I know with the lost state of Calgary, I know that that had to be bitter just knowing that you were going for three in a row and to think that that would have been the – fifth straight Stanley Cup if you would have won that because we'll talk about the other two that, that uh, you won back-to-back in 87-88. But uh, I can only imagine what that must have been like in the locker room after that game, just the sudden shock of not only you losing to your rivals but in the way that you lost, unfortunately, with uh, the, the play with, with Steve Smith there behind the net. Yeah, that was tough. I mean, you know, like when you talk about the rivalry, which we just had a little bit of fun with, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that was, again, six games of just grueling hockey and, you know, like being mentally prepared and, uh, you know, physically prepared every night and then getting to game seven and game seven is exactly where it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be in Edmonton. And, uh, you know, that's what we, uh, uh, played the regular season for to have that home ice advantage and, you know, a tight game until the third period. And then that, uh, that miscue by, uh, Smitty there with, uh, with Fierzy and yeah. all of a sudden Calgary changed their game plan and just started, uh, keeping everybody back and protecting the house and made it difficult to, uh, for us to score. Now, we had, you know, the, gun- the gunners that we had on the team and uh, those guys, we had a lot of time left on the clock and uh, a lot of opportunity to score some goals. But, you know, that's just, uh, you know, it didn't happen. And it was right. a shame because, you know, it was a good team. But you know what? You got to give kudos to Calgary because every year, like I said, they had a great team that uh, if we weren't winning the Cups, they could have very easily been the team. So, you know, uh, yeah. a disappointment for us, but again, uh, uh, for Calgary, may, maybe a little recognition of, uh, of getting there and uh, and uh, uh, finally beating us, you know. And, yeah. Uh, it's just so tough that, uh, you know, something like that happened to Smitty. I know it was very difficult on him, but uh, he was a t- true professional and uh, ended up having a great career after that. And, uh, uh, stuff like that happens. You know, oh, yeah. You look at uh, Bill Buckner with the uh, – Oh, yeah, the World passed. Series. Yes. Yeah, he just passed away, the poor guy. But uh, Bill Buckner was one of my favorite players ever, man. And, uh, Is that right? Wow. Know, like, yeah. Could you imagine watching hockey every night? And, you know, you have your big blunders like Smitty. We call them big blunders like Smitty and that. Uh-huh. But every night there's a mistake on every goal. If there wasn't, the games would be nothing, nothing. <laughs> you're no, you're no right. Yes. Yeah, no one's looked at it like that. You know what I mean? But the big ones like that are uh, just unbelievable. And baseball, you see all kinds of errors. Yep, you're you know, right. In, in the game, but it's at the point when it happened and what the circumstances are. Yep. You know what I mean? No, exactly. Crazy. No, it Crazy. is. No, it is. And again, I'm just going to say I'm glad it didn't happen to me. <laughs> yeah, because then you'd have to live that down, right, for the rest of your life. Yeah, exactly. And then the thing is that even the two years after that, you guys go on and win the Cup, you – had that grueling seven-game series against the Flyers where uh, obviously you were able to get that big goal. And I remember watching that game. They actually played it on uh, one of the networks there because uh, the anniversary of it was last week. Oh, as a matter of fact, it was May 31st, uh, 87. And I remember watching that. And, man, that game was tooth and nail. And uh, I believe Glenn Anderson had that goal late with about, uh, what was it, three, four minutes left to go to ice the game, made it 3-1, and you won that cup. And then 
obviously an 88 sweeping the Bruins the way you guys did. I, I can't even imagine, Kevin, if when you put all these Stanley Cups together, is there one that sticks out? Is there one that's, it's always the first one is the most special, but considering that you had this tremendous run, is there one that sticks out? You know what? I, I have to agree with you on uh, the first one, the 84. Mm-hmm. It was just uh, from where I came from and right. uh, to be invited into that group as a very small piece of the puzzle, very small piece of the puzzle that just love going to work every day with those guys and uh, doing what I could. And uh, for them allowing me to come in there and uh, give me the confidence back in my career and, uh, and my dream and life that I wanted to do was right. uh, uh, just so special. And again, sharing it there with my mom and dad so there's so many uh so many positives uh so many positives uh that uh with the first stanley cup compared to the other ones they're all great though the other good thing too is the parade every time you have the parade the first the parade's real good at the beginning you're in the back of a corvette sitting there (laughs) waving right the fourth stanley cup they put us on lawn chairs in the back of pickup trucks and drove about fuck ninety down Jasper Avenue. So oh, really? Even, <laughs> no, but that's that's what I mean. After winning four cups, it's not as special as the first one. No, exactly. I mean? Yeah, of course. Oh wow! Yeah. From Corvettes to uh, lawn chairs on the back of pickups. Yeah, it's almost as if you guys uh, downgraded, but. It seemed like every spring up in uh, Edmonton, Alberta, that's what it was. Other than the '86 year, it was just uh, cup after cup after cup. So now, yeah, it was so it was so great. Uh, uh, you know, like uh, you you're a fan. You know, it's like I mean, uh-huh. fans are such a big part of the game, and uh, they, they're they're what make the game. And uh, to uh, to share it with the fans of the city of Edmonton, man, the people that I got to know there, and mm-hmm. just the uh, people you sit and you watch them cheer you all the time man it's, it's great and uh, the fans are just amazing and uh, i mean that includes yourself without uh, oh. fans there's no without fans there's no hockey man no you're absolutely right i totally agree with you there now are you in touch with any of your old uh, teammates i know you had the uh, reunion there a few years back you were talking about or maybe just recently uh, are you still in close contact with any of your old teammates especially from edmonton no i pretty uh, i don't know i do once in a while like i mean after you know, I went to a couple of the others game and did a couple of promotions, but I've sort of isolated myself from everybody, man. Mm. You know what I mean? As I, as I got older and with the head and stuff like that, uh-huh. it's just uh, pretty much uh, just hang out. You know what I'm saying? But oh, okay. Since I since I've been back in Alberta, I've been going to a few other games and stuff like that. Yeah, so a little bit here and there. Like Dave Hunter called me uh, the other day, and I still haven't got back to him. So no. I'll get back to him next Monday or Tuesday. Right. Oh, interesting, and uh, and that's good because hey, listen, you know, if all the celebratory, if all the cups and all the memories that you have, and it's interesting to think that you know sometimes people still get wrapped up in being a part of the team or alumni, or whatever. And I'm sure, hey, listen, you're proud to be a part of that, and rightfully so. But hey, nothing wrong with just kind of to distance yourself because when you think about it, I mean, geez, it's uh, you know 25, 30 years ago, and it's amazing to think when time flies. Uh, you know, it almost seems like it's another lifetime, despite the fact that time does seem to go pretty fast there. No, it does. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, now we got this this thing with uh, that's happened. I know you guys down in uh, uh, New York are having a difficult time down there with that. And, yeah. You know, hopefully, hopefully it can go away and we can all get back. And you know, it's, it's always great to talk about hockey. And you can call me anytime, man. I've, oh. I've got I've got to know you, but hopefully we can get back and uh, put our butts in the seats and uh, yeah. go enjoy some big hockey games and. Always have memories to keep uh, talking about years and years on down the road. No, exactly. And listen, a couple of the quickies for me, Kevin. As a matter of fact, I like to do this um, 
it's just a, a rapid fire, just a few questions just to throw at you, just to see off the top of your head. To pretty much whatever answer comes, just uh, give it to me. So, uh, yeah. what was your uh, fav- uh, favorite NHL arena to play in? Chicago Stadium. Oh, I would have loved to have been there. Cause I, and please, that, w- walk me through what it was like during the National that, Anthem. Wow. That National, <laughs> see, that National Anthem was unbelievable, man. It was just like nothing you've, nothing you've uh, experienced before would just uh, send chills up your spine for sure. And oh. I tell you what, it, well, you can't now, and that's why right. I miss the old rink so much. But anyone that experienced that, if you can ever sit down and have a beer with them, mm-hmm. uh for anyone out there listening here, go and have a beer f- with them and find out what that experience was like. And like I said, you can't, you can't, uh, you get the full effect, but you can get a little bit of an effect. But while wow, it was unbelievable for that uh, national anthem with that organ playing and yes. everything, un- unbelievable. Wow, uh, toughest guy that you uh, went up against in your career? Ah, uh, there's so many man. I had so much respect. You know, I- I'm gonna go with John Cordick. Like mm. John Cordick. Yeah, we had it. We had it dandy tilt in edmonton man that uh uh it was his first game in the nhl it was an exhibition game but uh, oh, wow we knew we knew we were gonna fight because he was from edmonton and uh, i was gonna give him his opportunity and uh we ended up having a pretty good fight you know and he was lefty just like you too he was a lefty yeah <laughs> trust me we stood there and we we tossed him back but there's so many so many so many tough guys you know no, of course uh, a lot, a lot of tough guys. No, absolutely. And I was just going to ask you, just in that same vein, was there a guy that was maybe sneaky good that you didn't think was as tough? Because, of course, we can go through all the names of, and like you said, all of them are tough. It doesn't matter who it was. Maybe not so much Neil Sheehy as far as him you know, trying to exchange bombs with you. But if there's a guy that was sneaky good that was maybe under the radar that you uh, fought, who would that be? You know who was uh, not a very big guy? Not a very big guy, but uh, Jimmy Neal. Oh, Jim Neal, yes. Yeah, Jimmy O was tough, and he was a gamer, man, and he could take a punch. You could mm. throw bombs at that guy, right. and he'd look at you like, uh, what are you going to do now? So yeah. <laughs> all of a sudden, you're sitting there with a handful of jerseys going, geez, that's a good question for me. What the hell am I going to do now? But yeah, he was uh, he was not that sneaky tough. He was just tough, you know what I mean? No, of course. All right, so now uh, one word to describe uh, each of these uh, individuals. Uh, I'll start with uh, Coach Glenn Sather. Just... Uh, just a genuine uh, one one word oh you get, or a sentence is fine yeah one word or a sentence yeah just the, the ultimate the ultimate uh hockey guy man just uh, the way he worked all those superstars and uh, kept them all ticking and uh, he when you always hear these people talk about he was like our second father mm-hmm. he was like our second father he is such such a good man and he changed my life when he called me wow, uh, yeah. and, and uh, traded uh, traded for me and uh, uh pittsburgh i still remember him calling me walking through the baltimore hotel and uh-huh. uh, i said oh, okay and i picked the phone up and he said this is glenn sailor and uh, that changed my life for sure but uh, wow. just a great guy and uh, uh he had a heck of a job to do was keeping all those uh different superstars happy in edmonton and i tell you what you can ask anyone he did a great job he and did. it shows by winning all those cups for sure absolutely all right what about the great one wayne gretzky Everyone always asks me the same question. Yeah. What was Gretzky like? Uh-huh. Of course. All I always answer. All I always answer is he's tri- twice the person he is as he is a hockey player. Wow. You can make your own judgment from there because he's just a, he's a beautiful man and uh, a great teammate, and you would never know that he's Wayne Gretzky. You would just think he's the guy next door to you. Right. Mark Messier. 
Mark Messier? Yes. <laughs> Another guy. Don't piss him off. <laughs> he's uh, he's a guy that could have been one of the toughest guys in the league. I don't know if you've ever seen him fight. Oh, I have. Uh, With Joel Otto, fight. I remember just, that one time. Yeah, just uh, he could fight. He didn't fight a lot when I was here, you know. Right. But uh, when he fought, man, I tell you what. But uh, other than that, just a, a great leader. And, again, we had Gretzky was the leader on the ice and then uh, showed his work ethic and practice that. Uh, wow. Messier was obviously the vocal leader in the restroom, so he's uh, probably one of the greatest leaders to uh, ever play the game of mm. hockey. How about Dave Semenko? Semenko? Yes. A real funny guy. Oh, was he? Real funny. Real funny guy. Oh. Uh, real funny guy. Uh, tough, tough as nails. Uh, just one of the best teammates you ever want to have. And, again, I didn't know him in his glory years when he right. was really, you know, I got there a little later on, but he was still tough and stuff like that. A guy that uh, I think all the fighting had an effect on him towards the end of his end of his his life and stuff like that. And uh, it's sorry to see him go, but he was just a he was just a great guy. And it's interesting you say that, Kevin, because that was going to be twofold. I was going to ask you who is your uh, best teammate that you played with. That's number one. Uh, I I got along. It would have to be McTavish, McSorley, oh, yeah. or Coffee. McSorley, or Coffee. Oh, okay. You know, me and Coffee got a good bond, and nice. you know. He'll check in on me every once in a while and stuff like that. That's uh, good. Marty, uh, haven't talked to him for a few years, but you know we always have that uh, special, special connection. So right. have to be one of those guys. Oh, okay. And then the second thing was about health because obviously you played for a long time. I mean, obviously after your days in Edmonton, you went to Detroit and played in Toronto. But considering all the ice time that you had and all the wars and battles that you had and you talk about just health and all the hits that you've taken. Uh, how is your health? Is your health fine? Are you feeling pretty good? Uh, what could you tell us as far as uh, just you on a day-to-day basis, post-career, as far as your health is concerned? I do. I, you know, the bang, nicks and uh, bangs and stuff like that, like right. the knees and that a little bit. But the head sometimes, you know, but I don't even want to go there. I hear you. Know, I, know, I know Bettman's uh, take on it and everything like that. But, right. Uh, I don't agree with it, and I, I live through it every day. No, also. absolutely. No, I totally understand. And then uh, my last question to you would be the game today. Uh, of course, it's night and day. It's definitely not the same game that you played back in in your day, but uh, do you still follow the game today? Do you do watch it? Do you, is it a shell of its yeah. old self? Uh, how, how do you feel about watching today than the days that you were playing? Yeah, it's a, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good, fast game and stuff like that. Uh, you know, there's a lot of guys that get away with a lot of stuff out there that wouldn't, yes. have, uh, wouldn't back in the day. And, uh, you know, I think more guys get hurt that way. You know I agree. I mean? Yes, I agree. And, uh, you know, like some of the things that they can get away with nowadays, that, uh, like you said, they wouldn't even think twice of doing that. It was, uh, yeah. it was, I just think maybe even a lot more respect for each other back then. You know what I mean? No, of course. No, and that was yeah. the thing. Yeah, I mean, that's the reason why they had guys like yourself, Semenko, Marty, et cetera, to make sure that, like you said, if Neil Sheehy's going to run at Gretz, then, you know, he's going to pay the price. So in this day and age, it's almost as if if somebody runs at somebody, they're looking at the ref to say, hey, can you call a charge or can you call a high stick or whatever? So, yeah, it's definitely a different game today. And I certainly miss the days of when you played and, of course, how you played. So, Kevin, what can I say? It was a tremendous honor and pleasure to talk to you. It uh, was great going down memory lane with you. Thank you so much again. And, uh, yeah, hopefully uh, we'll be in touch uh, sometime in the future. Well, you have my number, my friend, and it was really, uh, really great talking to you. And uh, you know, make sure you keep uh, New York safe down there. You guys got a great place down there, and uh, hopefully, things turn out good for you guys. Yes, no, and I appreciate that. Thank you so much, Kevin.
Again, many thanks to Kevin McClellan for joining me on the podcast. That was just a wonderful conversation that I had with him. I could have talked to him for just like with all my guests for that matter. But going into that old-time hockey and discussing all those fights that he had in the 80s with the Calgary Flames and some of the toughest opponents that he's had. Now, of course, I wasn't going to go through every fight. I had to encompass his whole career. But I'm sure whatever nuggets that you were able to take away from, you enjoyed it. And I appreciate you taking the time out to listen to what it is that I have to say and what I had to ask and share with the one Kevin McClellan. So many thanks to him and to you guys as well, because without you, can't say there's no me, but you're the ones that keep this show afloat. You're the ones that keep this spirit and keep the podcast vibrant for everybody else to hear. And one way of doing that and continuing to do that, if you push it forward and Pay it forward if you can do so by subscribing, rating, and reviewing this podcast on wherever you get your podcasts. So whether that's on Apple, Google Play, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, or wherever you get your podcasts. Because when you do subscribe, the minute that the podcast is put up online on my website at jreels.com, it will go right to your device, phone, tablet, whatever it may be. And then when you not only subscribe, but also you rate and review. Hopefully you'll give me a good rating. I would greatly appreciate that. But what that'll do is increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there. And it'll just generate interest to bring the guests like I had today in Kevin McClelland or some of my former guests that I've had on this program. So hopefully, whether it is the former athlete, current athlete, the sports writer, blogger, studio host, anybody you name it you just go on down the line and that's the reason why I do this people not only just to share my insight my opinions analysis etc but also to get these guests here because we all know it's a competitive field out there everybody's uh, on their own and trying to get that uh, top guest so the more you make this podcast visible the chances of attracting those type of guests will be a plenty so please continue to do that or share that with someone that you know may be interested likes loves sports also, you can follow me on any of my social media platforms, whether it's on Instagram at jreels or the jreels podcast, on Twitter, jreels1, just the number, the jreels podcast on my Facebook fan page. And if you want to send me an email with any questions, comments, criticism, or praise, now I've been putting off this Ask Me Anything podcast. I've been lucky enough to generate some guests, so I've put off this podcast for maybe another week or so, and I've gotten some great responses, great questions in reference to People asking me anything, whether your sport's going to return or what do you think about what's happening with whatever it is. You tell me I'm more than willing to listen to what it is you have to say and I'll be sure to respond to you in doing so. So forward those questions. I will keep a note as to who you are, where you're from, so I can give you a shout out and check the website as well as to when that podcast will come up. If you just have to scroll down upcoming events and shows, You could do so at www.jreels.com for more information about me, about the podcast, all the other archive shows that I've had. Because each and every week, people, all I want to do is share my passion, share my love with you guys. And again, it goes without saying how much I appreciate you guys, how much I love the support, everything about you guys that certainly give me the fuel, give me the fire to produce, edit, write, and host these podcasts. Because as you know, I love to deliver everything that's going on in the world of the diamond, the world of the ice, the gridiron, the hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J-Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. 
from the South Bronx to South Beach to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond. Peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.